Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. Welcome to Bite Into It. You're with me, Dan Morganti, and my great friend, Maze Wallen. How are you doing, Maze? I'm doing really well. How are you, Dan? Very good, very good. Uh, we're doing our monthly games episode. We'll, uh, we'll be reviewing Sunless Sky, which uh, we both uh, dabbled in. Um, I think I've played a little bit more than Maze, but um, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to bringing you that. And uh, we're also interviewing Grace Bruxner uh, um, from Worm Club about Frog, De- Frog Detective 3 and also most likely Frog Detective. One and two, the delightful yes. comedy game about being a frog and solving mysterious riddles. Um, <laughs> how's your week in uh, gaming been, Maze? Uh, it's been good. I've been doing mostly mindless things um, in Elder Scrolls, uh, and then trying to see um, what meal food-based games I could do. I made a little um, ramen soundtrack for a games conference called um, A Maze, which was fun. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> nice. And, and your weekend of gaming? Um, I was playing Sunless Skies mm-hmm. and also dabbled with um, Overwatch again. I just played a few rounds ah. of um, non-competitive Overwatch or non-ranked uh, Overwatch. Non-ranked. But, There's yeah. so many new characters since I played. Um, yeah. Who's your favourite? Uh, I would probably say Reinhardt at the moment, just a big guy wearing armour and a Stay shield back. and a giant. Um, flame hammer, yeah. Um, but before we get into uh, the reviews and the interviews, um, we got some news, some gaming news. Uh, news, interviews, and news. Yes, I love that. I've never noticed that. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So our first piece of news that we are covering is some of the huge Activision Blizzard. Um, drama that's been happening. Have yes. you been following it? Uh, I've been following a little bit of it, uh, but there's so much going on that it's... Uh, Every day there yeah. is some new news. New developments, um, new uh, a new head of the Hydra rears its ugly head. Uh, yeah. So for the last two years, there has been um, an investigation into Activision Blizzard around their alleged frat boy culture and a breeding ground for harassment and discrimination against women. So a little bit of trigger warning for the next few minutes. Um, It is quite intense. Uh, So then after these two years, two weeks ago, the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing has filed a lawsuit against Activision Blizzard for violations of the state's civil rights and equal pay laws regarding its treatment of women. And since then, um, many of the developers from Activision Blizzard have spoken out and on maybe it was last, I think it was last week, there was a worldwide walkout. Um, So California being the main place, but also um, the Melbourne studio Sledgehammer also had a walkout in um, solidarity and and around the world. So it has been pretty intense. And then, so after all of these um, huge organising and group actions, um, just this morning, so yesterday US time I suppose, um, 
finally there has been an official, okay, we're unionising and we're making this a, a real thing. And I mean, you know... It's, a, you, it's coming from a tragedy, but it's been a long time coming. Yeah. And also, you know, other large studios like Ubisoft, who have also had um, regular lawsuits, <laughs> regular lawsuits, like that's a normal day-to-day thing yeah. in uh, the games industry. Seems to be. Um, yeah. So they've had over um, 300 workers also sign an open letter about Ubisoft. So that's been reignited for them, which is wonderful. Um, and then other places like even Unity, so not necessarily game development, but games tools development, um, have had people speaking out again. So it's a little bit like a round two of Me Too. There was a bit of a Me Too movement in 2018, and now it's kind of happening again, but with a, um, a much larger AAA contingent than indie. Um, yeah, and it's, you know, every day I think there is some huge new movement yeah yeah it's um like every angle to this makes activision blizzard as a company look terrible as well like the um the president jay allen brack i'm pretty sure as he decided to step down he um uh, has finally uh thrown in the towel um but he's no uh stranger to controversy either when uh um, a Hearthstone player was uh, uh, videoed in support of Hong Kong protesters. Yep. Um, they banned him from all tournaments and um, kicked him off the pro league. Um, and Jalen Brack gave a, a not real, not really an apology. Apology with uh, while failing to mention the actual event in question. Um, and I'm pretty sure they've hired uh, law firms that are known for union busting and um, yeah. So the, anti- the union busting organisation that worked for Amazon mm-hmm. um, are now also working for Activision Blizzard, along with um, some of the PR people who have worked um, for the US government to cover up uh, torturing. So you oh know they're, they're going pretty intense there. Um, and you know speaking of letters and apologies Bobby Kotick who is the CEO of Activision Blizzard did after the first um open letter of demands you know yeah. for the for the walkout so oh, there's been so many things so <laughs> there was the lawsuit um there was no reply there was the open letter of demands um threatening the walkout mm-hmm. um which Bobby Kotick did reply to with a non-apology and yep. and not actually addressing any of their demands, which were around um, equal pay, which were around some sort of rectification around the harassers and um, abusers in the company and also some um, remaking and policies around hiring so that they would actually have more diverse hiring. Um, and he hasn't said anything about any of those. So the walkout um, continued. Uh, and yeah, so the law firm is Wilma Hale, which is um, led by partner Stephanie Av- Avakian. Yeah, and that's the Amazon and the gov- U.S. government um, yeah. people who who's super great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a. Uh... It's just so disheartening that this just keeps happening at all the largest video game publishers around the world. So mm. Ubisoft, uh, even like even Bobby Kotick is no saint, uh, being labelled uh, America's most overpaid CEO. 
Uh, it like it all just culminates in this one event, kind of the the rampant discrimination against women, the uh, rampant uh, un- uh, underpayment of women, mm-hmm. um, the efforts to squash any unionization attempts, uh, yeah. the yeah the frat boy culture, like in quotation marks, and there's video ev- evidence of like high level executives in the company at like BlizzCon, like their premier games yeah. event. Uh, harassing women or like um, you know uh, demeaning women from the stage while they try to ask a question um, absolutely it's... yeah and then posing in rooms with pictures of of sex offenders who are well known and yeah. things like that um, yeah so it's it's kind of good you know because again it's reigniting this Me Too movement in video games and it's also giving a lot more people more opportunity and backing to speak out so that they feel less isolated. Um, but, yeah, every every large AAA company, um, you know, Riot, everyone has this kind of thing. And, you know, we saw in 2018 that it is in indie games as well, um, but, you know, a lot less money running around uh, and less hierarchy. So, yeah, it's a different flavour, but it's the same food <laughs> yeah absolutely it's uh it's just so disheartening to see the games that you love just have such a kind of disgusting backstory and um are created in really oppressive environments and um you know this is not what i love about video games but it's just um yeah becoming all the t- all um too common yeah but i think there's hope you know there's so many workers who are um joining these letters and these walkouts and unions um that you know they do care about the products that they make and their audiences um it's these higher ups who who really dictate these cultures Mm. so yeah so watch this space yeah check out their demands on um twitter and and just look up uh Acti Blizz walkout. That's their hashtags. Um, and yeah, none of their demands have said to actually boycott the games. And it's really important to listen to the workers and what they want. Um, but to really spread awareness of, of what's happening and um, the things that they can do to fix it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, let's, let's move on to something a little bit uh, uh, less depressing. Um, <laughs> Valve has unveiled its new Steam Deck. Uh, PC gaming, uh, new handheld device. Uh, We're we're a bit handheld uh, today. Um, The portable device will launch in December, starting at $400 with pricey versions having extra storage space. Um, It's uh, quite a a nifty little uh, device if uh, the rumours are to be believed Um, Mm. and being all uh, open source and... um, Valve stating that it's a it's essentially a handheld computer. Yeah, is, um, the fact that you can run any OS on it is pretty cool. So mm. it looks a bit like a Switch um, already, except that on the sides um, it also has these kind of touch pads. Mm. So it's got joysticks and D-pad and also touch pads. Um, and you'll be able to play any Steam game on it, Yeah, which... You know, we all have libraries of 700 Steam games. Yeah. To have... <laughs> we, we all do. I, I'm not, um, I know I've got uh, a library like that. If if, yeah. uh, if you do out there, well, yeah, you're one of us. Um, yeah. Maybe you so... can start knocking them off on the tram ride home. 
Exactly. To get a handheld console with all of your games already loaded in is pretty different. You know, usually um, like Nintendo or something, you would have to rebuy your favourite game, you know, or, or wait for it to come out or something. Mm. Um, but this is a pretty key difference. Yeah. And, yeah, being able to have any OS so you could install Linux or you could install anything that you wanted on there and as long as it, you know, had some sort of conscious of um, of the different controls. Yeah. Mm. Looks looks good. I'm, uh, I'm anxious to see how it uh, performs and how much um, Valve supports it as well, considering their track record of supporting their uh, peripherals has mm, left a little bit to be desired. Um, yeah, it will be interesting. And it's a bit heavier than a Switch as well, mm. um, which some people have talked about, like, no, I don't want something that heavy. Um, but... You know. Yeah, there's trade-offs. You can't have everything. Yeah. I'm, I'm willing to uh, take a little bit of extra weight, build up those biceps while uh, <laughs> lugging around this portable PC. Some gamer muscles. Yeah. Um, and there's more news for uh, handheld consoles as well, Mace. Yeah, so the play date, which you may have heard about in the last few years or it might be new, um, is now on pre-order. So the play date is this little yellow kind of squarish Game Boy Um, and it also has a handle on the side which you can wind. Mm. It doesn't power it. It's just like another control (laughs) Um, and it's – so it's on pre-order now for I think it's just under 300 USD so it's not super cheap Um, and it will be delivered in 2022 so pre-orders for 2021 run out super fast um, earlier in the week. So 2022 is when the next ones are coming. And the games on there, they have been commissioning a lot of indie darlings um, to make some Playdate-specific games. And not all of them use the handle, um, but some do. Some have found an interesting challenge. Uh, The the first thing that comes to my mind when I see the handle on this console is just big mouth bass fishing. Um, (gasps) Fishing games? Yeah. Of course. Yeah. That's the yeah. like the number one thing. Or winding up a crank start old timey car, you know, the yes. the ones from the like nineteen hundreds. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. a lot of interesting stuff can be done with uh, a control like that, a peripheral like that. We've never really seen something like that before, hey. Yeah. And it is interesting, you know, I don't know if there'll be a lot of ports over to there and I don't know if it will be something as huge as like the Switch or or even Steam Deck, but I do think it will be an interesting part of handheld console history. And there is a lot of really kind of art house games and things on there. So mm. I think do check out the play date. Um but yeah, an interesting niche, mm. I think. Absolutely. Um, um. Uh, yeah. Um. Uh, my appetite has been peaked. So. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that's a good way to describe it. Yeah. Triple R. Sunless Skies ended early access in 2017 and then was properly released in 2019. It was developed by a British studio, Fail Better Games. Uh, it's the spiritual successor to Sunless Seas, uh, which came out a few years before that. Uh, what's to say? It's a steampunk Lovecraft in the sky with steam trains that battle it out for supremacy. Um, quite bleak and horrible, but also uh, really engaging, entertaining, um, uh, and a lot, an, a lot of story. 
Um, yeah, I think as you um, said that, I was like, oh, actually, it's Sunless Seas that I played. Uh, and okay. I remember there was a lot of reading. Yeah. And at the po- point that I played, there was also no voiceover, which made me... Um, which made the reading a bit intense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, I had uh, I hadn't played Sunless Seas, but mm. I looked at some reviews for it before uh, playing Sunless Skies, and it seems like they've uh, gone leaps and bounds ahead of where they were with Sunless Seas, where Sunless Seas was a boat drifting through the ocean that mm-hmm. sometimes made the game tedious if you ran out of fuel and just had to uh, slowly roll along the tides with not yeah. much to do. Um, but wait for your boat to reach safe harbour or be eaten by a a mysterious creature from the deep. Um, Sunless Skies uh, takes away some of that tedium and uh, allows for faster-paced, more more exploration and is somewhat uh, larger in scope, having uh, up to four maps and... um, yeah, uh, uh, different environments and more lush and vibrant environments where sunless uh, oh, seas was. How do you make a sky lush? Yeah, that's the thing. So there, uh, it's called sunless skies, and you're playing a flying steam train, like the train from Back to the Future Three. Uh-huh. So <laughs> it's like that, but uh, yeah, it's it says sky, and I'm, I, I guess you kind of just got to suspend your dif- disbelief that it's not really. Uh, space it's not really in the sky how are these trains levitating i mean you can buy you can upgrade trains and they kind of give you a little bit of background and how these trains are flying but that's cool um yeah it's uh it's kind of uh don't look too too much into the science behind it but it's like um you're in a like a somewhat of a jungle environment a lot of um flying rocks in the sky with uh, trees ah. and grass and moss and then uh, the next one you're in a more like a more metropolitan environment lots of buildings and steam pipes and glass structures kind of jutting out everywhere and you've got to navigate these tight corridors and um, very interesting yeah the the environments are actually like uh, one of the highlights I, I've got to say all the the art, uh, the audio in this game is fantastic as well. I know that you'd be a big fan of that, yes, uh, Ben, the audio. Uh, the audio geek that you are. Um, but, yeah, the, the audio is fantastic. Um, also, uh, another nice touch, which I think you might like, there's, uh, it allows you to have a non-gender specific title. Um, oh, cool. Which it doesn't. It doesn't like advertise as a big deal, but I, I thought it was pretty cool to have like you yeah. can pick uh, between Captain or uh, Star Child or like there's oh, a cool. a, Lots a, of titles. Yeah, there's like uh, 20 or 30 different titles that oh, are um, non-gendered, which were, uh, I thought was cool. And, and like doesn't, doesn't um, draw attention to it, um, mm. but also Perfect. it's... Um, yeah, it's just like a, an element of the game that fits in really nicely and is also... Um, uh, fits in with the game world and the and mm. the environment and um yeah uh also a lot of writing in this game okay. like like <laughs> sunless seas a lot of text a lot of reading um so are they the other trains or train stations you meet people at yeah so the gameplay consists of you flying your train through uh, corridors and wider open areas, um, exploring the environments, uh, running into marauders and pirates. And uh, I've, I've got to say the combat when it first started was uh, difficult to get your head around because you 
you move forward in the direction that your train's going. So to turn, oh, yeah. to turn kind of gives you like this wide arc. You almost control like you'd imagine a, a pirate ship to control like. It's almost well, like cool. they've brought in the Sunless Seas yeah. uh, feel. And um, yeah, some of the best battles, I, I've got to say I, was, I died like three or four times right at the start by engaging pirates without really having a handle on the controls. <laughs> You're just like, let's go. <laughs> yeah. And then right after I was, uh, I like kind of, picked up the the nuances of the uh, controls. Uh, you have these like uh, epic like circular battles. It's almost like you're That's both kind cool. of moving around a whirlpool, firing at each other like uh, um, pirate ships just like trying to line up their cannons on the ship. And yeah. Um, yeah, so you get these kind of like epic battles that are really fun and uh, um, a lot of uh, a lot of detail as well with uh, you got to manage heat. So every time you fire a a rocket or a cannon, uh, you build up heat in your engine. If you reach the critical point, it'll mm-hmm. overheat. You won't be able to fire or move properly for uh, until the meter falls down. Mm-hmm. You have uh, a health bar, but also supplies and fuel. So if you run out of fuel, you'll be a sitting duck and they'll blow you up anyway. And <laughs> um, Yeah, and then, of course, the pulling into stations. So there's uh, a multitude of different stations and ports and stuff you can uh, pull into. It allows you to kind of choose your own adventure. There is a main story. But if you want to just be a, a trading powerhouse and move from port to port uh, as fast as you can, trading the most you can, it, it kind of gives you that option to That's really... really cool. I love to kind of create my own personality yeah. and role play. Yeah. Yeah. So you can do that. You can become the the traders, the trader of the sky. It allows you to pick three uh, conditions for winning at the start. So uh, yeah. I forget what it's called. It's like poet soldier and oh i might be getting the classes mixed up there but yeah there's like three conditions for winning and um something that i find uh really great as well is that you can choose legacy which is a i would say a harder difficulty but basically every time you die you start from the start with a new uh and then you get your little roguelike in yeah so it's got a little bit of the roguelike elements um (laughs) and you can also go uh uh, sorry, so it was Legacy and uh, Merciful. And Merciful, mm. you're just, you can save. So you can go back um, a few save, um, oh, uh, to your save nice. file and come back. So if you're really in it for the story, uh, the story doesn't have to be locked behind skill points and, yeah. um, you know, trudging through, the uh, yeah. having to replay the same story over and over again. Perfect. Um, and, of course, no steampunk Lovecraft uh train in the sky uh, sorry steampunk uh steam train in the sky <laughs> wouldn't be possible without lovecraft so there's a whole bunch yeah. of lovecraft elements which i found out the other day you know why lovecraft is so popular um in video game design and just in media in general it's because right. it's uh in the public domain because ah. lovecraft was around before these recent uh recent changes to the public yeah. domain law uh, before 1924, I think, whenever Steamboat Willie uh, came out. Uh, Lovecraft is free to to use. And, well, that's um, handy, isn't it? Yeah. So that's I think that's why <laughs> a lot of Lovecraft-inspired media is out there these days because it's mm. such a, a well of uh, interesting characters and concepts that... Yeah, um, an IP that you can draw off that everyone's like familiar with. Yeah. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you can kind of uh, add to the cultural narrative or the, you know, the media narrative 
what do they call it? The hyper narrative that everyone understands characters and um, in different contexts and stuff like that. So mm. that's why uh, Lovecraft's so popular, and it fits very well in this in this setting. Uh, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of bleak, uh, yeah. <laughs> standard horror elements. Um, if you're running out of food, well, it gives you the option to eat your own crew if it comes down to it. Uh, a bit grim. Of course. Yeah. Well, you know, you've got to get fed. You've got to get your crew members across the line. Or, well, some of them anyway. So there's a lot of these <laughs> um, sta- standard horror fare. And then uh, there might be a giant floating crack an eye encased yes. in a crystal it's got a black hole surrounding it slowly wow. sucking you in a lot of tentacles and uh always more... have to have tentacles yeah well it's lovecraft there's there's yeah. tentacles and uh giant gnashing teeth and yeah. yeah um so the the feel of the game is uh great like the it, they've really nailed the the lovecraft and horror aspect of it um yeah, yeah. I uh, sounds I'm look- really cohesive as well with all of these different elements feeding into it. Yeah, yeah. And the the writing, even though there is a lot of it, it does shine through in this game. It is awesome, uh, visceral and engaging. Uh, and you, even though it's it's just a text adventure for the most part, when you're in a, a port or a dock, it um, it never really felt stale or. Uh, uh, lost my attention. I wasn't ever just, that's great. just yeah, clicking through that, dialogue just yeah. to get through it. Yeah. Yeah. That's but, the main risk, isn't it? Mm, yeah. Cool. So I would recommend this game if you're uh, looking for something with a cosmic horror twist and uh, don't mind a little bit of reading. Um, and it only takes uh, a minute or two to, to work out the controls if you want to be a space pirate shooting out shooting down other trains from the sky and collecting what debris they they scatter yeah, yeah. um have i have i convinced you maze to you give have. it a go yeah i think i played sunless seas yeah for maybe 2 hours and then i never opened it again mm. so maybe sunless sky will give me what i want yeah yeah, yeah. i think so it's it seems like it really um uh, got over the the problems that sunless seas had and cool. um, was able to build a much better game for it. So, um, awesome. yeah, if you want to pick it up, I got mine through Humble Bundle, mm-hmm. um, but it's available through Steam, um, GOG. It's 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 awesome. all over the place. Yeah, cool. Uh, yeah, you're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R, exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. Triple R on FM, digital, online, and via the app. Thanks so much for being here. It means a lot. Um, next up, we have an interview with the amazing Grace Bruxner. Um, Grace Bruxner is an independent game developer living in Melbourne um, who makes games about a very charming frog detective with her studio Worm Club. Grace has travelled the globe to show her games and has been working in games for just four years but is very successful for that time. Grace, welcome to the show. Hello. <laughs> um, Grace, you're really well known for your approach to comedy in games and you know the frog detective series one two and three is such a highlight in the games um industry you know we there's not that many comedic games was it something that you set out to fill that gap 
Um, I don't think intentionally I did. Uh, I think with my work, like I've always enjoyed making games that are funny or making stuff that makes me laugh. So it felt like a, a natural fit rather than something that like I needed to, to fill this gap that was missing. Because I think a lot of games are quite funny, um, but maybe just not in the same way that mine are. Yeah. What what are your main in- inspirations? What do you find funny? Hitman. <laughs> Hitman. <laughs> I think it's the funniest game. What? I, like I think the developers have a great sense of humor about the fact that it's a it's a I don't know it's a it's a shooter game and it's almost self serious, but there's just so much to laugh about when you think about like a really buff, strong guy dressing up in little outfits and. <laughs> blending in even though he's like the most obvious man in the world the the whole narrative is like there's this guy and he is so he has like you will never pick him out of a crowd but he's just the buffest man alive and, so and bald with a, out of a crowd. very uh, distinctive tattoos and yeah yeah I, I, yeah I see i see what you're saying that's that's yeah that's pretty good it reminds me of yakuza zero where um yeah. one of the first in in the early game um you have to uh, buy a suit that is more like a salary man so that you don't look like you're from the Yakuza, but you really, really look like you're from the Yakuza <laughs> at yeah. all times. Um, so how did your wonderful characters come about? You know, there's so many, there's Lobster Cop and Frog Detective and many other characters. Do they? Where do they come from for you? Um in a real way they just come from me writing down animals that could feasibly walk on two legs and then creating a character out of that for frog detective specifically like i i just liked frogs a lot at the time when i when i designed the frog detective um yeah actually i remember you curated an exhibition of frog games is that right or am i yeah i did yeah at bar sk which is now shut down um a few years ago yeah, we're, yeah. we're big fans of uh, Bar SK. Or and the games. The, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, I, I just want to um, ask you about like what you think about the like episodes and sequels. Uh, so number two and number three, would you consider them uh, sequels or episodes? Because I can see like a, almost a, um, a touch of frost kind of thing going on where um, every every game's a new self-contained episode with the same characters and uh, stuff like that. Is that, is that kind of thing important to you? Um, I, yeah, I definitely view them as episodes or chapters rather than um, sequels, but at the same time, like that, that does limit us a little bit in terms of how much we can um, change between, between the games, Mm. which is kind of like where we've run into some obstacles sometimes. And we do call them sequels because like we would like to, change the art style a little bit like as we improve and as we get better at making games Mm. we want to show that in the games that we're making whereas like if we were simply to call it a chapter or or a series like um I feel like we wouldn't have some of that freedom to to change as much as we want to um but yeah like I, I I do I do view it as episodic it's just like if your favorite show took a really long time between episodes. <laughs> um, you have a very unique uh, visual style in the game as well. Um, you just mentioned it's almost like uh, stuck on expressions of uh, surprise and uh, uh, 
it, many other uh, expressions, but like, how how do you describe the visual style of uh, of your games? Um, some people call it creepy. I think, <laughs> I think it's just very joyful. Um, my my art style with three D in particular has always been about what will make me laugh. Like the reason I like three D is that I could just put a face on something and it was instantly funny. So with all the characters in Frog Detective, like I just want them to have like some sort of perpetually smiling face because um, that way you know that everything's good and everything's just fine. <laughs> I think you have nailed that um, very very well. Um. When you talk about, you know, we want to change the art style and things like that, what sort of um, roles does the development team have? It's just a couple of you most of the time, right? Yeah, so it's me and my partner, Tom, Thomas Bowker. Um, He was sort of in a position of doing like the programming with the first game, whereas it was my creative and design direction. and my art and writing and all that. Um, but as we've gone on, so the second game uh, was designed by the two of us. Um, mm. And Tom also wrote, like, a couple of scenes. And, you know, as time's gone on, like, we, we really – it's we've meshed into one person almost. Um, but we also have, like, some collaborators, uh, pardon me, collaborators on the game. So we've got uh, Dan Golding, who does the wonderful soundtrack, and um, we've recently welcomed Olivia Haynes onto the team, and she's doing 3D, 3D art for the third game. Some stars in the Melbourne development scene. Yeah. Mm. Very lucky. And so you've... Um... Like Frog Detective exploded in popularity for uh, the reasons we've just discussed. Um, how how have you dealt with that kind of uh, um, independent game celebrity? I don't know. Um, well, I hope. <laughs> I hope. I hope I haven't become a weird, I don't know, a weird person that thinks they're famous. But um, no, like we with Frog Detective, we really. Um, tried to make it successful like it wasn't successful immediately and it was something that we really pushed for uh with its marketing and like bringing it to different festivals overseas and stuff so the the success of it was definitely gradual um uh, so in that sense we've had time to adjust to it like it's it's never been this huge shock of like oh my gosh like we have so many players it's more like we have players because we've taken the time to collect those players or you know bring them to the game so i think yeah there's a couple of t-shirts and a tote in our house um yeah so (laughs) that's been do you think that's quite common for for narrative games is more focus on a on quite a long tail i suppose um rather than trying to launch with a splash pardon the pun maybe yeah (laughs) (laughs) worked for us (laughs) <laughs> um so do you do you have any advice for other uh independent developers with marketing because um i feel like uh, a lot of developers uh it's not their uh their first uh first port of call when um developing a game um so any advice to people who are uh wanting to market their game get the game out there yeah i think like part of the problem is that we view marketing as such a dirty word and when the reality is it's just like a way for people to see what you're making. Um, it's not, it's not so much like, Oh, what are the advertising KPIs or whatever? Um, mm. 
like I'm not interested in that sort of stuff. What I what I'm actually doing with the marketing is trying to find an audience that will like it, and by doing stuff like tweeting about it or um, finding focused uh, like subreddits, for example, is a good way to do it. Say if you've got a game about I don't know woodworking, and you find a woodworking subreddit and you're a part of that community, then that's sort of like a natural way to to show people your game. Um, but I think it's, it's a lot of it is just not being not being afraid of it and not being ashamed of it. Mm. It's okay to promote your game because it's your work. You've spent so much time on it, so why not show the world? Mm, absolutely, that's beautiful. Um, one thing that I use to talk to my friends a lot is is the very approachable length of um, Frog Detective 1 and 2. You know, it's something that they feel like they can sit down between TV shows or something like that. Um, is that, you know, I guess it would be hard to write uh, a lot of content for a very, very long game, but do you also enjoy these shorter games? Yeah, I definitely do. Um, a lot of the the reasoning behind making it a short game is that I have the attention span of like a snail or something like <laughs> I really can't play games for that long unless they're really super engaging and with Frog Detective I think because it's so content heavy mm. and there's no no filler really in the game it makes sense for it to be short um, I don't like we could make this game five hours if we wanted to if we just made the levels bigger and, you know, added little things to do in between talking to characters. But that's not what the game is about. It's about experiencing this little story. So it made, it made sense to, to make it short. Um, yeah. That's so true. It's got only good bits. I love yeah, that. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess uh, the most difficult question uh, I have to, uh, for people to answer is um, what's, what's your favourite game? Um, I have a few. Hitman is one of them. Of course. Um, I really like Splatoon. Oh, I yeah. like Breath of the Wild. Um, it's funny. These are all like AAA things. Like yeah. I, I really wish I had like an indie answer, <laughs> but I'm I'm the worst. I just love AAA stuff. Nothing um, wrong with that. Yeah. I think if I had to give one answer, I'd probably say Breath of the Wild, but I do like to talk about Hitman a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel like Breath of the Wild is uh, a game that's fantastic no matter how experienced you are with video games like it uh, it brings in the inexperienced and the experienced alike and um i think it's yeah uh, that would be my justification for breath of the wild being one of the best games ever yeah i can yeah. see some of those links where when you go up to some characters in breath of the wild they are just like their whole selves and kind of in your face and just living their own lives which i yeah yeah i totally see that in frog detective a lot I mean- that's something that's been important to me with the writing is to not make it feel like the world exists just for you, the player. Yeah. It exists beyond what you're doing. Ah, oh, mm. perfect. Okay, so um, Frog Detective 3 coming out soon. Um, how can people keep up to date? How can they get the notifications? How can they know? So on frogdetective.net, we have a mailing list and that's where we'll post any announcements as they come. We really don't send a lot of emails, so don't worry about getting spammed. Um, uh, otherwise, you can follow me on Gra- uh, on Twitter at Grace Brooksner, B-R-U-X-N-E-R, um, or at frogdetective on Twitter. Otherwise, um, you can wishlist the game on Steam, Frog Detective 3, Corruption at Cowboy County. Oh, Cowboy County. Woo! <laughs> 
Amazing. Thanks so much for coming on the show and, and taking the time to talk with us, Grace. Thank you for having me. Triple R. Maze, what do we got? Uh, what's coming up this this week? So, um, well, the games industry in Melbourne is kind of ramping up for Melbourne International Games Week, which happens in October. Fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so, a lot of the deadlines for submissions, if you're a game developer or if you're interested, um, are starting to come up. So, the Melbourne Queer Games Festival submissions are open until Friday. So, they were going to close the other week, but they're going to stay open until Friday. Um, the festival will be held in October, so go to mqgf.com.au for that one. And you can also Google um, Melbourne International Games Week to see what other events and sign up to the mailing list and things like that to see the different things that are happening. Usually there's game jams, festivals, concerts. Um, I know there's going to be a few musical concerts in the works mm. for that week um, and lots of people travelling in, so... Yeah. Have you been a part of uh, Melbourne Queer Games Festival before? I haven't. And something makes me think, so um, the year before last year, there was the Melbourne Queer Film Festival, or I, I think that these two festivals have something to do with one another, but don't quote me on that. Um, but they are uh, relatively new and they've been um, exclusively online, I think, until now. Um, they might continue to be online as we probably all should be having uh, online plans. I think this is uh, the fourth the fourth one for 2021. started yeah. in 2018, I'm pretty sure. So, yeah, um, it seems like there's uh, some interesting... Interesting games to be had from... Absolutely. I think this one they're going to um, take a little bit of a historic twist and look at some of the games that have had the most impact yeah. um, on queer representation and queer developers in the games industry. So that'll be pretty cool and really nice to reflect on, you know, queer elders and things, um, and especially in, in Australia. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's uh, been quite a quite a great show, if I do say so myself. Just uh, blowing our trumpet there. Yeah, I think we nailed it once again. Yeah, so thanks, <laughs> thanks so much to Grace uh, Bruxner for coming on the show to talk about uh, Frog Detectives One, Two, Three, and Into the Future. Um, uh, my name's Dan Morganti. With me is uh, Mays Wallen. Uh, thanks to Elizabeth McCarthy, the Talks producer. We've been bite into it. Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or Bite Into It's Twitter or Facebook accounts. 